Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you once again for who you are. We thank you for this opportunity to spend time with you in your Word. We pray for fresh insight. We pray for understanding. We pray that by your spirit, you'll help us to apply your word to our lives. We also pray that you'll equip us for the work of the ministry. Help us to do what you called us to do. Help us to be all you called us to be. Help us, Lord, to be faithful, Lord, in all of our days and in all of our ways by the power of your spirit. And Lord, I pray your blessing upon the word that is going to go forth in every building on this campus. And I trust that your word will not return void. I also pray for the gift of teaching and a fresh filling of your spirit for myself, Lord, and that I would decrease and you increase and be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So today we are in 2 Samuel chapter 17, and we do have a main topic as we move chapter by chapter, verse by verse in this book. And the title is God is up to something. God is up to something. And so my my prayer is, as we go through this study, is that we'll be reminded of this fact that God is up to something. And also at the same time, be encouraged, be encouraged about that while we're on our journey to reaching our full potential in Christ. And so with that in mind, we like to look at verse one in 2 Samuel 17 and just keeping in mind what happened in the previous chapter at the same time, how this guy Shimei cursed David. Remember, David is on his way out. He's, you know, he and his crew, they left Jerusalem because of Absalom, his son, and his rebellion. And so David, of course, not wanting to make Jerusalem a bloodbath, they didn't want there to be this bloody civil war there. He, he took off and those who supported him left with him. And so on his way out, as I mentioned, this guy, he curses David. This is a person who is related to King Saul, the first king of Israel, who saw David as his enemy. And so we saw how David reacted or didn't react to this cursing. And it was admirable. It's something that we admired. And so we talked about that. But then we also saw that Ahithophel who was David's counselor previously. We saw that he became a traitor. He went on Absalom's side and, and he gave some advice to Absalom to have sexual relations with David's concubines that he left behind to look after the palace. And so the the chapter in, in chapter 16 ends in verse 23 where it says, Now, The advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle or word of God. And so was all the advice of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. And so Ahithophel, he would normally give good advice, great advice. And it was trustworthy advice, as if they had asked or inquired at the word or oracle of God. And so I read that verse because going into uh, chapter 17 is, is going to kind of give us some context as far as Ahithophel's concern and the advice that he's going to give. Because in verse 1 in 2 Samuel 17, it says, Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Now let me choose 12,000 men. And I will arise and pursue David tonight. Now remember, his advice was normally always accepted. 
And there, there was high regard for this man and, and his counsel by David and now by Absalom. So remember that. Verse 2, he said, I will come upon him while he is weary and weak and make him afraid. In other words, I'll throw him into a panic. And all the people who are with him will flee. And I will strike only the king. I'll only strike David. Then I will bring back all the people to you, Absalom, when all return except the man whom you seek. All the people will be at peace or they will return quietly. And the saying or plan, please Absalom and, and all the elders of Israel. And so this usurper, one of David's son, Absalom, he was happy with this advice. They loved it. And so Absalom, once again, at this point of the story or narrative, he would have somebody else do his dirty work and also get rid of the person who was a threat to him of sitting on that throne as the king of Israel. And of course, that threat was his father, King David, the rightful king of Israel. And so to him, oh, yeah, that that sounds good. You're going to do my dirty work. You're going to get rid of my father, the threat to this throne that that I want, that I usurped. And, and additionally, in this plan here, what, what made it um, a plan that was so appealing to Absalom at this point and also the, the other leaders of the people, what was that the people who were with David would return in peace or without any trouble. And so he would have more people to rule. And so with this plan, notice that Ahithophel would be the one who would do the fighting. He would be the one who would come upon and attack King David while, and pay attention to this, while David was weary and weak. So he would come upon David while David was in the weary or tired and a weak, and some translations say a discouraged uh, situation while he was in that state. And what this reminds me of is how the devil tries to take advantage of those opportunities when we are in a weakened or discouraged state. When we are in a vulnerable state, you see that the enemy will really try to get his foot in the door and try to take advantage of that situation. Oh, you've seen it in the temptation of Jesus, those, those 40 days and 40 nights when, when he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and he didn't eat any food. And when that 40 days and 40 nights were, were, had come to its end, notice what he did. Notice what he tempted him with the first thing while he was in this state of hunger. He tempted him to turn stones into bread. And so the enemy wants to take advantage of us when we are in a vulnerable state. So maybe when you are feeling ill, he may try to take advantage of you when you're sick, when, when you need surgery, he tries to take advantage of us, wants to cause us to, to doubt God, wants to strike more fear in our hearts, wants us to put more trust in man than in God during that state, or maybe some of us may become bitter if you're not feeling too well, if you're sick, you're feeling ill. So the enemy would love to take advantage of that, or, or maybe someone hurt your feelings. And, and so that's an opportunity, an open door for the enemy to come in and start stirring up more strife and division and start throwing these ideas in your mind. You don't have to accept them, by the way, but he tries to throw those ideas into your mind and suggest that maybe you should get back at that person who hurt you, who hurt your feelings, or, or maybe it's somebody who's feeling a little under, underappreciated. And so in that state, oh, the enemy demons are, are watching and they can take advantage of that situation and try to encourage you or suggest that you just quit, that you just give up because you are underappreciated. You see, the enemy will try to come after you even more in a weakened or vulnerable state. You know, he's seeking, just as a roaring lion, he's seeking 
somebody to devour, looking for fresh meat. Or maybe it's a, it's a Christian who just haven't been fellowshipping with the saints in a while. And he knows that you are in a weakened state spiritually. Been missing out on the fellowship. You haven't been reading the word as much as you should have been. You haven't been praying as much as you could have. So your, your prayer life has taken a hit. Your, your fellowship life with the rest of the brothers and sisters in Christ have taken a hit. And so he sees fresh meat. You're in a vulnerable state and he wants to take advantage of that discouragement, feelings of anger. That's why the scriptures tell us to not let the sun go down on our anger. Take care of the issue before the sun goes down, before the next day, because that it can turn into bitterness and hate. The enemy could use that and he, he sees that as an opportunity. To throw out that suggestion of revenge. And so just like Ahithophel wanted to do. Come upon David while he was weary and weak or discouraged. The enemy. Our spiritual enemy. I believe he tries to do the same thing. And we have scriptures to back that up. But in verse 5 it says. Then Absalom said. Now call Hushai the archite also. And let us hear what he says too. When Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom spoke to him saying, Ahithophel has spoken in this manner, or this was his proposal. Shall we do as he says? If not, speak up. Now remember, Hushai was, was David's friend that, that David sent back to Jerusalem to be his eyes and ears. So remember that from chapter 15. And so, and so now he has a chance to speak up against this advice of Ahithophel. And so in verse 7 here it says, So Hushai said to Absalom, The advice that Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. For said Hushai, you, you know your father and his men, that they are mighty men. And they are enraged in their minds. They are fierce like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. And your father, remember this, Absalom, your father is a man of war. He's an experienced soldier. And he will not camp with the people. Surely by now, he is hidden in some pit or cave or I mean, maybe he's in some other place at this time. And it will be when some of them, that is when some of your troops are overthrown at the first, that whoever hears it will say, there is a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. So maybe, you know, just, just knowing this about David, knowing this about my father, just, just understand if some of the troops lose and are defeated, then everybody else is going to be discouraged. And so that's why it says in verse 10, and even he who was valiant or brave, whose heart is like the heart of a lion will melt completely or be frightened. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man and those who are with him are valiant or brave men. Therefore, I advise that all Israel be fully gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba, like the sand that is by the sea for multitude and that you go into battle in person. And so from Dan to Beersheba is talking about from north to south of Israel, from the far north of Israel to the south. Gather all the troops, Absalom, and, and you lead the charge instead of a Ahithophel. And so in verse 12, it says, so we will come upon him in some place where he may be found and we will fall on him as the dew falls on the ground. And of him and all the men who are with him, there shall not be left so much as one. Moreover, if he has withdrawn into a city, so while we're gathering all these troops from north to south, if he has ran away and he retreated into a city, it says, then all Israel shall bring ropes to that city and we will pull it into the river or valley, in some translations, until there is not one small stone or pebble found there. So in other words, if, if he uses his time to get away and run into a city, we're going to tear that city up stone by stone until it gets to the point that no small stone is found there. And so Hushai and this advice here, he seems to be covering all the bases and removing all of the concerns that Absalom would have. 
And in verse 14, it says, So Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The advice of Hushai the archite is actually better than the advice of Ahithophel. For the Lord had purposed or determined to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. And so Hushai's, David's friend's advice would actually make Absalom look like this great leader. And so, of course, this advice fed into his ego. And also, Hushai's advice would, would also actually buy David more time to escape. Because remember, Ahithophel and his advice, he actually wanted to go after David that same night with 12,000 men. He wanted to catch him while he was tired. And cause him to go into a panic and just go after him, get it over with. But, but here, this advice from David's friend, though it fed into his ego. And so not only here that we see that God will give Hushai uh, advice to share that will spare David's life. Not only that, but God would also use this advice to bring disaster on Absalom. You see that in verse 14. That was God's purpose. That was his plan. And so this means that Absalom actually made himself an enemy of God. If God is targeting him to bring him down, to bring disaster upon him, then I repeat, Absalom had actually made himself God's enemy. And this is with something people, this is something people should be concerned with. We, we should be concerned about whether we're an enemy of God or not. But unfortunately, some people, these, especially these, they're, they're, they're wondering, am I on the right side of quote unquote history or on the wrong side of history in regard to issues or perceived issues in society? But, but I, ever, I wonder if they ever stopped and started thinking if they are on the side of God, the right side of God. So forget being on the right side of history. Are you on the right side of God? Or are you on the wrong side of God? So in other words, are you in the flow of the will of God? Or are you flowing against the current of God's will? The right side of God or the wrong side of God. In other words, will I support without compromise things that are in alignment with the Bible, with scripture? Or, or will I support the culture because I want to be quote unquote on the right side of history, whatever they perceive history to be. But, but are you on the right side of God? That's what we should be concerned with. We don't want to be an enemy of God. And in fact, the scriptures tell us that friendship with the world is enmity with God. You put yourself against God and you don't want to be against the God of the universe, the very God who gave you your breath. But just thinking of that, th thinking of that question, am I on the right side of God or on the wrong side of God? Just, just, just thinking about that. I just want to make the suggestion that we use that thought, that we use that question. Ask ourselves that, that question and use it as a guide before we act or before we align ourselves with a certain individual or a certain group. Even if it's only you. 99 can go a certain way against the will of God. But, but if you're only, if you're the only one, if you're that one out of that 99, will you stay on the right side of God? Oh, you know there'll be a cost. You know you pay the price for that. But man can only take our physical lives. But Jesus says God can destroy both body and soul in hell. In Gehenna, the lake of fire, verse 15, it says, Then, then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar the priests, said, thus and so, Ahithophel, Ahithophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel. And thus and so, I have advised. 
And so remember, Zadok and Abiathar, remember, they are on David's team as well. Now, therefore, in verse 16, he says, send quickly and tell David, saying, do not spend this night in the plains of the wilderness. And so remember, he's at the fords on the west side of the Jordan. So the fords are the, are the area, is the area of, of the Jordan River that can be crossed. It's shallow enough to be crossed. And so David and the people who are with him, they are there in that wilderness. They're, they're camping out. They're resting. They're, they're being refreshed there on the west side of the Jordan. And so he says to these priests, Hushai says to the priests, send a message quickly. Tell David, don't spend the night where he is right now in the plains of the wilderness, but, but hurry up and cross over. Cross over the Jordan River to the east side of the river, unless the king, that is, of course, this usurper, Absalom, lest him and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. And now Jonathan and the Hymeas, the priest's son, they, they stayed at Enrogel. And Enrogel was near uh, Jerusalem on the border between Judah and Benjamin. And they stayed there at Enrogel because they dare not be seen coming into the city. And so a female servant will come and tell them, and they would go and tell King David. Nevertheless, a lad, this young man, this boy, saw them and told Absalom, he blew their cover. But both of them, Jonathan and Ahimeaz, they, they, they went away quickly, and they came to a man's house in Bahurim, and this man had a well in his court or in his courtyard, and they went down into this well, which was most likely a cistern. Uh, then the woman, that is p- perhaps the man's wife or the woman of the house, she took and she spread a covering over the well's mouth, and she spread grain on it, and the thing was not known. And so, like I said, most likely this was a dry cistern, which had a mouth or opening that was level to the ground. And so she could spread a mat on it or some type of cover on it and then put the grain on it. And so Absalom's servants, of course, would, would have no idea that there were people hiding there. And so in verse 20, when Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, where are Ahimeaz and Jonathan? So the woman said to them, they have gone over the water brook. And when they had searched and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. So that's what the woman said. And now in verse 21, now it came to pass after they had departed that they came up out of the well or the cistern and they went and they told King David and they said to David, arise and cross over the water quickly, the Jordan River, cross over it quickly to the east side. For thus has Ahithophel advised against you. He, he advised that this attack be done against you. And so David and all the people who were with him, they arose and they crossed over the Jordan. They had crossed over during the nighttime. And by morning light, not one of them was left who had not gone over the Jordan. Once again, that's the Jordan River. And so what we see here is multiple people playing their parts in helping the king. We saw that Hushai played his part in helping King David by offering advice that will be used by God to overthrow Ahithophel's advice. The man who became a traitor to David. And then Zadok and Abiathar the priests. They ended up playing their parts and relaying the message they received from Hushai um, to someone else. And that someone else, of course, was another player. And that player was the female servant. And she played her role faithfully because she passed on the message to the priest's sons, Jonathan and Ahimeaz. And the woman of the house in Bahurim, you saw that she played her role or part in hiding these two young men, Jonathan and Ahimeaz, from, from Absalom's people. And so at the end of the day, they were able to make it to David in order to give him the message which would help him and the people who were with him to escape, to be so that they will be safe and not be killed by Absalom's people. And so just as Hushai, David's friend, who was his spy pretty much in this situation, 
So just as he was not alone and working for the king, that is King David, we as believers are not alone in doing the king's work. And of course, those of you who are familiar with, with the messages uh, I've been given in Second Samuel, you know that the king I'm referring to is none other than Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And so, no, we are not alone in doing his work. And so just as God put people in place to help King David and to help Hushai and the priests and so forth, God also puts people in our path to help us on our way as we're walking or living this Christian life, as we are moving along in life, being prepared for the work of the ministry and, and hopefully becoming effective witnesses for the Lord. God is putting people and has put people in our lives to help us along the way and personally I can tell you that I'm grateful for the people God has put in my life to help me in the work of the ministry because when I first got saved I just thought okay I'm just gonna obey the word of God do my best in that and then share the gospel with you know people here and there and just go to church and and that's pretty much it I didn't know anything about spiritual gifts or anything like that I had no goals of being a preacher or minister pastor whatever you want to call it I had no goals of that but but God put certain people in my life to to kind of guide me and I can look back and see that you know I was asked a simple question the children didn't have a Sunday school teacher I probably you know, maybe 19 going on 20 at this time. And they say, hey, Darrell, we need a Sunday school teacher. And, and, and once that happened, then, I, then that's when I really started digging into the word of God. And so God put, put the people at my old church in California in my life to, to kind of get me going. And I remember I would have people from other churches, and, you know, who would ask me, oh, when are you going to announce your calling? When are you going to announce your calling? And so that was a big thing. So you would get in front of the church and you would let them know that, hey, I believe that the Lord has called me to the ministry. And, and they would say that. They would ask me that question. And I was like, I don't know. God <laughs> he didn't tell me anything. But, but, but I was given these opportunities and, and, and so forth. But, but God had put people in my life, and I look back at that, and I can thank God for, for him putting them there to help me in my walk and also in the work of the ministry. And God is putting people in your path, and he has put people in your path as well to encourage you and to, to share the word of God with you, to come alongside you and to pray for you and to pray with you and to counsel you and to maybe if you even give you that timely word, or maybe they may use the gift of knowledge. And this is a such thing as the gift of knowledge, which is one of the spiritual gifts. And the gift of knowledge, by the way, is not something that we can drum up of on our own. It's, it's, it's allowed to be used by us, by the Holy Spirit. And, and what the gift of knowledge is, is that the Holy Spirit is giving you knowledge that you previously had not had. You, you don't even know where that knowledge came from. Well, you know if you connected to the Lord that it came from him. But, but it's not something that you have previously studied or learned and you didn't research it. But, but the Lord just put something on your heart to share. And then somebody says, wow, or did, did somebody tell you that? Did, did somebody gossip and just share my business or whatever the case was? But, but maybe the Lord had put somebody in your life who used that gift of knowledge to share something with you that helped you along the way in serving the Lord and serving your king Jesus Christ and if that's the case and I believe that is the case with 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 many of the believers here and just in this room and if you're listening online I believe that's that that's the case I would say be thankful for those people be thankful for them there's so many people even here Calvary Chapel of Queen Creek who, who, who work behind the scenes to help us to get ready on a Sunday morning or, or maybe a, a Wednesday night service. So many people working behind the scenes to help us to get ready for the services so that we can be more effective in the ministry. And, and that's such a blessing because we, we don't have to do it all. You know, I don't, I don't have to, and Pastor Jim doesn't have to sing 
you know, lead, lead the worship through song and then preach. Pastor Jim, or neither I have to make the coffee and, and we don't have to run the slides and preach at the same time. We got people for that. We don't have to teach the children and, and, and the junior high at the same time and make the rotation before we come up here and share. We, we have people that God raised up and we are in this together. And so we're so thankful for the people who work behind the scenes to, to, to make every service run smoothly so that we all together can be more effective in the work of the ministry. And so just like Hushai had all those people to help him to relay that message to King David. And we're so grateful. And like I said, I hope you're grateful for all those people who help you to serve your king as well. And in this next verse, we're going to look at it using the New Living Translation in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, still related to this topic. And, and I brought up spiritual gifts, so I'm going to use the scripture that talks about that. It says here that a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we all can help each other. Not, not, not so we can show off and, and, and make it seem that we're more spiritual than everybody else. No, we, we're, we're to help each other. And so not only do we edify or build up each other in our spiritual walk, but we also help each other toward the common goal of serving our King, Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 23, back in 2 Samuel 17, it says, Now when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he, he saddled a donkey and he arose and went home to his house, to his city. Then he put his household in order and he hanged himself and died. And he was buried in his father's tomb. You know, what's so interesting about this is that this man seems to serve as sort of a foreshadow of Judas Iscariot. And because this man betrayed his king in his in this first life. Before he died, he betrayed King David, just as Judas Iscariot would betray the king of kings. And just as Ahithophel would kill himself by hanging himself, later on we see that Jesus' betrayer, Judas Iscariot, would also do the same. He would kill himself. He would hang himself. See, Ahithophel, he betrayed King David to team up with David's son and enemy Absalom. But now we see that his advice was rejected. And so this feeling of rejection could have played a part in his suicide. Uh, but mainly what I believe took part in this or played a major role in his suicide is that he could see that Absalom was going to lose. Because he saw that Absalom was going to go for Hushai's advice and gather this huge army and allow and then allow David to get away and regroup and prepare. And so he saw the writing on the wall. And so I, I think mainly he saw that this plan was just just set up to, to, to fail, that this man Absalom was he was just doomed. And and what that meant for. Ahithophel is that, you know what, they're going to come after me too. Because I became a traitor. So he just ended up killing himself. He set his house in order and he hung himself. And unfortunately, suicide still happens today. And there's some people who commit suicide because, yes, they have been rejected. Or maybe they feel useless. At one point, they felt useful. Maybe people wanted to hang with them and so forth, but now they're rejected. They feel useless, hopeless, and they feel like they are doomed to fail. And so they take their own lives. And so if there's anyone who is thinking about suicide, I would just say, know that there is hope in Jesus. There is hope in Jesus. And if you surrender your life to him, if you surrender your life to Jesus, Believe this, that you will not be rejected. In fact, this is what it says in John chapter 6, verse 37. 
Jesus says, all that the father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Another way of saying cast out is reject. If you come to him, he will not reject you. But what's interesting, and maybe this lesson or this topic is for another day, but what's interesting in this verse, and this is from Jesus' mouth, is that you can see God's sovereignty and free will of man all in the same verse. In other words, you can see that God chooses, but you could also see that he gives man free will all in the same verse. Because all that the fathers give me, obviously these are those God has chosen, they will come to Jesus. But notice that there's our responsibility too, that, that we have to come to him as well. And so it works both ways. It's parallel. You know, they, they, they work together. They don't contradict. God chooses, but we also choose. It's parallel. They don't contradict. They don't go separate ways. God can work it out. And he's, he's done it. He knows everything from eternity. But, but like I said, that lesson is for maybe another day. But the point I want to focus on is that he will not reject anyone who comes to him. So if you feel or if you have those thoughts of taking your own life, just know this, that there is hope in Jesus. And if you go to him, you will not be rejected, although everybody else may reject you. In verses 24 through 29, it says, then David went to Mahanaim a place that's east of the Jordan River and Absalom crossed over the Jordan. He and all the men of Israel with him and Absalom made Amasa captain of the army instead of Joab. Now this Amasa was the son of a man whose name was Jithra, an Israelite. Um, Some translations say Ishmaelite. And I think it even says that in second Chronicles. Yeah, I think it's in second Chronicles or one of the Chronicles. It says Ishmaelite. But anyway, this, it says, this man had gone into uh, Abigail, uh, the daughter of Nahash, the sister of Zeruiah, Joab's mother. And so really, if you follow the bloodline here, if you follow the family line, you'll see that Amasa was actually a cousin of Absalom and Joab, which means that this Amasa is a relative of David, of King David. And it says, so Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. And now it happened in verse 27, when David had come to Mahanaim, that Shobai, the son of Nahash from Rabbah, of the people of Ammon, Makir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. And this man, Makir, by the way, he was the one who was taking care of Mephibosheth before he came to David. And Barzillai, the Gileadite um, from Rogalim, All of these guys, they brought beds and basins, earthen vessels and wheat, barley and flour, parched or roasted grain and beans, lentils or small peas, and they also brought roasted seeds. And furthermore, they brought, in verse 29, honey and curds, sheep and cheese of the herd for David and for all the people who are with him to eat. For they said the people are hungry and weary. They're exhausted and they're thirsty in the wilderness or they're thirsty in this desert. And so verse 29 actually describes some people today in a spiritual sense. There's people today who are lacking spiritual sustenance. They're lacking spiritual satisfaction. They they may be tired from the burden of life. They, They may be tired from the burden of sin. They may be tired from man-made religion and the burdens that come along with that. And they are thirsty more than the things in life um, that only seem to quench their thirst for a short time. So there are things in life that they thought would satisfy their thirst, in other words. But it's not quenching their thirst. They know that, it's, that it has to be more than life or more to life than, than what they've been getting, than what they've been putting their trust in. And so these hungry, weary, and thirsty people, spiritually speaking, are, are, are here today on this earth. But the good news is, is that God, God through Jesus Christ, he satisfied all of these areas. He checks all the boxes Because the scriptures tell us that Jesus is our rest. 
So yes, he is rest for the weary. And for those who are hungry, he is, the scriptures tell us, the bread of life. For those who are thirsty, it tells us in the scripture that he gives living water so we won't thirst anymore. See, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor, all you who are weary, who are tired and you're heavy laden. He said, come to me and I will give you rest. This is spiritual rest. Then in John chapter six, verse 35, speaking of those who are hungry and Jesus being the bread of life, it says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Oh, he satisfied the needs of the hungry, of the exhausted or weary and, and those who are thirsty. He satisfies those needs. And then in John chapter four, verses 13 and 14, Jesus Answered and said to her, her being the Samaritan woman at the well, he says, whoever drinks of this water, you know, he's speaking of that well water or or just literal water in general. He said, whoever drinks of this water, you're going to you're going to thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. You see, the water. On this earth that we drink, yes, it's good for us. It helps us physically. We need water to stay alive, but we're going to become thirsty again. Uh, but, but, but think of this, that, that source moving on from water. But, but think of other things we try to use to quench our thirst. And I'm talking about spiritual thirst at this point. So, so maybe it's, it's sex or maybe it's that relationship. Maybe it's money. All of those things that you use to try to satisfy your thirst. Guess what? You're going to be thirsty again for more. You're going to be thirsty again for more money. You're going to be thirsty again uh, for more sex, for more relationships. You're going to be thirsty again for more alcohol because it never truly satisfied the spiritual thirst that can only be quenched by him. That's why he says whoever drinks of this water could be literal water. It could be even quote unquote metaphorical or, or these other types of water we try to dip in. We try to drink to satisfy certain areas of our lives. Whoever drinks of the water that Jesus gives will never thirst. But it will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And so the Holy Spirit, of course, is that living water. He is that dynamic water. And there's this constant flow. There's a constant flow. And and the Holy Spirit, this living water, of course, is given to those who believe in Jesus Christ. There's this constant flow. The Holy Spirit, he stays with us forever. And he is a never-ending source of refreshment. And he's a never-ending source of spiritual satisfaction. That's why it's a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Because the Holy Spirit, he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Jesus says he'll be with us forever. And so there will always be this spiritual satisfaction, this, this, this thirst that is always quenched over and over and over again in the Holy Spirit, this fountain of water that springs up into everlasting life. And so, yes, for those who are weary, who are hungry, who are thirsty spiritually, all of these needs can be met in Jesus. You see, but while we are weary, while we are in a discouraged state like King David was, and while things are looking just a little bleak, and maybe we even find ourselves in the wilderness. We, we may find ourselves in the dry places of life. And maybe you're in a position where things don't seem to be going your way, where things doesn't seem to be going David's way. They're thirsty. He has these people with him. They're, they're, they're hungry. And they need protection. But, but even in the midst of that, God is up to something. God is working something out, even if you find yourself in that place. And we see this even in the life of David. 
Because as David was in the wilderness, as he was in that place of discouragement, as he was in that place of danger, and and I'm sure his heart is broken at this time, even while he was in that place, yes, God was up to something. And, And one of the things that God was up to is that God was answering David's prayer. Because remember in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 15, verse 31, it says, Then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And so even while David was in that place of discouragement, God was up to something. God was answering the prayer of this sweet psalmist of Israel. God was answering his prayers, working behind the scenes. And and while we are in this place of of dryness, of wilderness in life, know that God is also working things out behind the scenes to protect us, just as he was protecting David, as he had these people in place, passing on messages to warn him. Or you you might not even know what you need protection from, but God is up to something, still putting things in place to protect you. You see, God is even working things out to provide for us. Oh, oh, you don't know how that that provision is going to come, but God is working things out. He's up to something, putting things in place to provide for us. Just as we saw in verses 27 through 29, these, these people came out of nowhere and they began to provide for the needs of David and the people who were with him. They brought food and things to drink and all these things that they needed. And God, it, it just shows that God was working behind the scenes, that he was up to something this whole time, even though David was in this position of discouragement and despair and and just physical feeling this physical thirst and hunger along with the people I'm sure his heart is going out to the people that he's caring for he's not the young spry man that he once was he's he's older now and yet he has to look out for these people but yet and still God is providing for him uses these different people to do it Because even when we don't think about it, when we don't realize that God is always up to something, when when things seem to be silent and you're not hearing from God, know that he is still working. He is is still doing his thing behind the scenes, causing things to fall into place. He is putting people in the right places to even help you out. Just like God put put Hushai and the priest and even the servant girl and even the, the woman who helped them hide. He put all those people in place. He's he's always up to something in a good way. Looking out for his people like he was looking out for David. He's setting things up to give you favor with men. You see, David had favor with these people who were bringing out these things for him and the people to eat and drink. No, God is even working things out to restore you. You know, God had a plan in place. Although David may not have seen it. Well, David was in the wilderness. He, he was just, yes, he was trusting in God, but wasn't actually seeing exactly how God was working. But, but God is working things out here to restore him to the throne. Just like he's working things out to restore you. And I believe some people need some restoration, need some restoration in your lives. Your prayers, it may seem that they're not being answered, but yes, God is up to something. He's he's working it out. But as we even look around us right now, and and we just read about things and We hear about certain things that are going on in this world, in our country, in our schools. Yes, it's easy to see that, oh, things are are falling apart. Because we see the moral decay in society. We, We see the abuse of children. We see the abuse of women. We see this just gender confusion. We see these murders. We see the shamelessness of people. When it comes to sin, they're proud about the sin. When they should feel shame for it and come to that place of repentance. 
turning their lives over to God. But we see the moral decay in society and we, and we can say that, wow, things are just falling apart. We see it. But I'll say this, as we learn about what's going on, as we see these things, as we hear these things, I would say even still be encouraged. Because even though it looks like on surface that things are falling apart, know this, that, that, that things are actually, in regard to God's plan, they're actually falling into place. And, and notice this, in that model prayer that Jesus gave to share with his uh, disciples, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Notice this, that plan is coming to place because his kingdom will eventually come. So yes, things are falling apart in this world, in this life as we see it. The kingdoms of, of this world led by man is falling apart as we see it. But, but really from, from God's point of view, they're falling into place and his kingdom, yes, will come. And we're going to be a part of it. We're going to rule and reign with him. And there will finally be that worldwide peace and righteousness. And, and we're going to see everything come together the way we envision And it's going to be even better than that. It's going to be even better. Whatever you can imagine about God's kingdom and about heaven is going to far exceed our expectations. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that when things don't seem to be going right and Everything seems to be messed up. We're in this place of wilderness spiritually and things just falling apart. Lord, we come to trust and know that that you're up to something, that you're working. And that things will fall into place. And as believers, we will see it. So, Lord, I just lift up the remainder of this night to you. Just praying that you bless your people, protect your people, give them traveling grace, use them in a mighty way this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.